Hey, y'all. Sam Sanders here. These days, I feel like I can't make sense of the news until I've talked it out with my friends. So I made a new show where we do that every week. It's called It's Been a Minute. That's my way of saying let's catch up. Find It's Been a Minute now on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks. Welcome to Pop Culture Happy Hour, NPR's roundtable podcast about what we are watching, reading, and listening to. I'm Linda Holmes. I'm the editor of NPR's pop culture and entertainment blog, Monkey See. This week, we'll bring you our recent conversation in Brooklyn about pop culture summer stories, and I'll talk to Jessica St. Clair and Lennon Parham as the third season of their show, Playing House, Bows on USA. And as always, we'll close the show with what's making us happy this week with one of our favorite friends from NPR and the host of the new show, It's Been a Minute, Sam Sanders. Now, at the Bell House in Brooklyn in early June, we talked to our friend Audie Cornish about some of our favorite stories of how pop culture intersected with the way we spent our summers. We want to bring you that conversation, which touches on books and music and lots more right now. So uh, we thought that since it is summer, we would talk about some of the summers that we have spent in the company of some of our favorite uh, pop culture, you know, because it is a time when we listen to music, we watch movies, we all have memories, we know that all of you have memories, we thought that we would talk about some of those things, and I want to start with my friend Stephen Thompson. Stephen, give me a... For those listening on the podcast at home, there is a slide behind us that reads, How I Spent My Summer Vacation. That's right. So tell me a story, Thompson, about how you spent your summer vacation. First of all, we called this segment How I Spent My Summer Vacation, but what this segment is really called is Tell Humiliating Stories About Your Childhood. (laughs) At least that's that's how I took it. I mean, I think pop culture adjacent uh, humiliating stories. Okay. Do you have any? I I do. I do. (laughs) So when I was a when I was a whelp, uh, I had really you were a what whelp. I said lump. <laughs> when I was a whelp, I really focused primarily on three things. One was playing Atari twenty six hundred cartridges. Sure. sure. One was sitting on my parents' bathroom sink and ranking my features in order of unattractiveness. Aww. Yikes. <laughs> what? <laughs> 30 years ago. It's cool. I'm up here. It's <laughs> uh, here. It's fine. I'm on the radio. <laughs> Go ahead, buddy. And, and third was ruining my hearing with my trusty, trusty Walkman. Now, I loved my Walkman so much that when I had my senior picture taken in high school, oh, they're looking expectantly at the screen behind me. Jessica. (laughs) Now, for those listening at home, the odd hush you hear (laughs) is respect. Is that uh, a pleather vest, Thompson? <laughs> <laughs> I believe it was actual 
non leather. <laughs> okay. uh, but that is a uh, that is a cassette Walkman. Do you remember the tape that's in the Walkman it at this point? It was probably well. I'll get to that in a moment. Okay. But it might have been like Chicago eighteen. Sure. <laughs> I liked a lot of soft rock uh, in in, uh, in high I school. I couldn't tell by that haircut. <laughs> I describe it as like a. It's, I describe it as like a turbo mullet. Yeah. Um, like a little Richard Marks. Little yes, Richard Marks. Little yes. Richard Marks also works. Splash of Bon Jovi. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> anyway, several years before this picture was taken, before I became uh, the worldly sophisticate that you see in this photo, I uh, spent the summer of 1987... Uh, with very, very little to do. And uh, one of the things that I would do is I, would, I lived in a very, very small town in the middle of Wisconsin, um, riding my bicycle to different towns in rural Wisconsin. But uh, one fateful Saturday morning, I decided to gather up a bunch of nutty bars and Walkman batteries <laughs> and ride my bicycle to Princeton, Wisconsin, which was 60 miles away. Now see, that was respect. <laughs> respect is the is quite ahead, the right word. Anyway, there was a girl I liked there. Her name was Scarlett. I decided for some reason not to tell her that I was doing this. It's more romantic. Yeah, and, and if there's one thing that you really, really want that 13-year-old girls love, it's big, bold, romantic gestures. They love it. They do not love it. They don't at all. Um, so anyway, long story short, I rode my, my bicycle 60 miles to Princeton, Wisconsin, to the tune of the Van Halen album, 5150. And I've never been able to listen to it since. <laughs> <laughs> but that was my go-to, like, pumped-up record. Like, like, in the end, on dreams we will depend. Which is a terrible lyric. And but but it but it like pushed it pushed me uh, mm-hmm. it pushed me. It through. works in this context. It works in this uh, this context. And so anyway, I got to Princeton, and Scarlett seemed very befuddled. Her dad seemed a little impressed, <laughs> and uh, immediately had to call my mom and sheepishly have her drag me home. If she could have driven me home by my ear, <laughs> <laughs> she uh, she would have. But the nice thing about that experience was that my trusty Walkman taught me to follow uh, my dreams, which were stupid. Very good. I like it. I like it. My, my travel and music story is not that spectacular or that humiliating, which is surprising. But my family went on a very long trip in the summer of 1981, and my sister and I, what you used to do was you would take a cassette recorder and you'd put it by the radio. Mm-hmm. And then you would just, like, this is like if we coughed, you would hear it on the <laughs> tape that we were making. And we made it off of the Dick Clark National Music Survey in a particular week in 1981. And I went back and I found what I'm pretty sure is the week that, that we had taped it. Stars on 45 was definitely on it. All those years ago was on it. The one that you love was obviously on it. So we played this tape. This was a six-week car trip. We drove from the Philadelphia area out to California, up the coast of California, and back, camping basically the whole time. To the tune of Stars on 45. (laughs) My sister and I... To the many tunes of Stars on 45. My sister and I played this tape every day (laughs) in the car. 
And that's how I know my parents are very, very loving and generous. Mm -hmm. Because <laughs> they still brought us home. <laughs> Even though we did that. So my summer memory there uh, with music is that uh, road trip and the, the music that was all stolen from what happened to be on the chart that week. Now my other story, I do want to make it clear that we also are highbrows and like books. <laughs> and my other story that I wanted to mention was when my family used to vacation at this place in Maine, I would go to a little bookstore where you could get up to a grocery bag full of paperbacks for 10 cents each. And that's when I started reading Harlequins because I could get used Harlequins in a bag for 10 cents each, which I thought was like the best, most awesome thing ever. And that really is how I spent my summer vacation. That's how I spent several summer vacations. I also found some more like odd paperbacks, but I would just skip over those ones. How about you? Uh, how about you? Wait, oh wait, no, hold on. No, no, no. What do you mean by odd paperbacks? <laughs> like more scandalous than oh, okay. I would have read a thing. Oh, I see. Go ahead. Hit me, Glenn. Uh, you know, as we were training up here, I talked to Audie about how um, I like to think of myself as a creature of contradiction and complexity and nuance. And um, I like to think, I tell myself that I contain multitudes and that I cannot be reduced to any, any one label. Any label, let me just pick one out of the hat, curmudgeon. <laughs> Whenever I hear myself kind of steering into that skid, I just, it's disappointing. That's it. <laughs> Buckle up, because we're about to skid into it. This topic, summer sucks. Summer's the worst. Who's with me? People are hot, people are stinky, people are sweaty. They feel, feel like they can show you their knees and their feet. <laughs> By a pool, that makes sense. In a grimy city street, it's the worst. It's like, here, behold my dumb knees and ugly feet. The sun is poison. And sand, what is a worse substance on the face of this planet than sand? Some, some would argue manganese, but I say sand. Uh, it is literally irritating. It exists to chafe. But, so that said. You're uh, the worst person. <laughs> Ever. Given, given, given. Knees. When, when I was a kid, <laughs> when I was a kid, every summer my parents would rent a house in Bethany Beach, Delaware. <laughs> I dispute that woo. <laughs> I respectfully disagree with that woo and I wish you to retract it. Um, uh, at the time, Bethany Beach, Delaware had no arcades, no, uh, no rides, no goofy golf, nothing. Uh, no goofy golf? No goofy golf. <laughs> Rehoboth Beach up the road had a place called Funland, which was all those things. That's a worthy woo. That's eminently wooable. Uh, Bethany Beach, no. It's like the underside. It's like the underneath. It's, it's basically upside down of Funland. So uh, as long as I could spend all day on the surf, I was fine. Uh, Mom would perch herself, like plop herself down on the beach and just slow bake for the day. Brost herself for the sure, day. Sure. But one year it was 1976. The sea was filled with sea nettles. Anybody know what they are? They're basically jellyfish. Couldn't go in the surf. There is nothing to do in this town. So I spent every day of those two weeks at this grimy five and dime, which was the only place on the main drag uh, besides like a, a driftwood sculpture store, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> and you've never been to this store, but you've been to this store because it's the beach. It was, it was called the Sandy Toes Beach Shop. Oh, God. That's strike one. Uh, <laughs> Toes, T-O-Z, strike two. Shop, S-H-O-P-P-E. 
Strike. Um, so you'd walk in, and it was cool and dark, which is why I went there, right? It was, it, they blasted the air conditioning. So, you know, it smelled like suntan lotion and extruded plastic because it had the, uh, the, the, that tower of beach balls in the cage, you know? And it, it's where you could buy their, um, you could buy your copper tone rafts, you know? Uh-huh. But it had a magazine rack. And that's what I went through. I tore through that thing. I memorized every page, every panel of Mad, and then I had to kind of downshift to Cracked. Yeah. Sure. And then eventually I eventually crazy. And then eventually crazy, sick, and plop exclamation point. Remember that one? Nope. Nope. Okay. <laughs> Not worth remembering. That was one of those more scandalous papers. Yeah. There was a, a comic book rack next to the magazine rack, and reluctantly I turned to it at one point because I had tried comics the year before and they didn't take. I read what I now realized was. Uh, Legion of Superheroes number 201. A friend of mine lent it to me, and it was all these people sitting around in costumes uh, talking about their relationships and their feelings and electing a chairman. <laughs> and I was like, punch something or I'm out. This is not what I want. So I, reluctantly, I turned to what I now realize was Flash number 145, in which Flash, the fastest man alive, goes toe to toe against Turtle Man. The slowest man alive. <laughs> Do you feel the primal, pure power of that? He also went up against uh, something called the Zinger Gang. This was a gang of criminals in matching jumpsuits. And my little proto-gay brain was like, tell me more. <laughs> tell me about the jumpsuits. <laughs> um, and they had a big Z on their chest and they had ray guns that when they zapped you, they would reduce you to your component molecules and it would be floating there in the air, great visual. And the sound that the ray guns made was zing. (laughs) Hence the name, the Zinger Gang. That combination of pure, simple, potent, iconic, and goofy is what got its hooks into me and why I am the man, for better or for worse, that I am today. (laughs) And it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't gone to that store at that time because I couldn't go in the surf in that month, but that said, summer still sucks. So summer sucks and brought you comics. Exactly. Thank you, buddy. Uh, I know, right? Body Cornish, summer I am pro-summer. Thank you. Okay, I want to see the knees. I want to see all the parts. I want to hear the music coming out of your cars. I love it. I love it. So the thing about summer is that I associate summer vacation with working because I've been working since I was 13. I worked in a kosher bakery. I worked at Bed Bath & Beyond in the towel section. (laughs) (laughs) It's like this. And bank teller. And my favorite job was at the Ground Round, which is like... Oh, is there, like, recognition for this? Okay. Ground Round round, Woo. The Ground Round is, like, an almost Applebee's, right? It's like, we need more cheese on that. And, like, that was the menu of the Ground Round. (laughs) And it's famous for for having, like, peanuts on the table instead of bread. And also for filing bankruptcy mid-service on a Friday night. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they actually, one one Friday, they just kind of came in and were just like... Put down the wings, folks. <laughs> We're done here. Uh, but before all that, before the dark days of the mid-aughts, uh, I worked there as a hostess, um, which was the girl who told you it'll be 45 minutes, and you were like, but it's the ground round. <laughs> um, and <laughs> it's like, that was my job. 
And the thing about it is I associate it also with music because the music was played on a loop. Um, it was a loop that was sort of like 90s pop mainstreamish. So it would start with like, groove is in the heart, delight, you know? And you'd hear that like, like sound. <laughs> you'd be like, here we go again. That was like the start. And then eventually you would move on to like Alanis Morissette, ironic, or that third eye blind song. So now every time I hear like do 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 like I think of cheese and bacon <laughs> and alcohol wipes, like all these summer associations come into play. Uh, and and then uh, semisonic closing time. That was another song. Like to this day I am like suspiciously well versed in the nuances of closing time. <laughs> the thing about this Did they is, actually play it at closing time? They should have. <laughs> I wish. They just played it all the time. It was just <laughs> like, you'd just be walking around the restaurant and you would just... I think if know, I were at a restaurant, I'd be like, do I need to leave? You do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't bring a picture of myself at that time, but just imagine this with a mustache and glasses. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, anyway, so... <laughs> The reason why I think of this as like an important moment is because I think that's when I became a poptimist. I think up until that moment, I was trying to be like cool teen and I was like, I like Massive Attack and Black Star and like I'm into cool stuff. But then I would hear, you know, ironic, Alanis <laughs> Morissette, and I'd be like, you know, <laughs> it is a little too ironic. <laughs> <laughs> and it is the seeds of today that allow me to sit next to Glenn Weldon. <laughs> In the face of my regular job, in which things just feel, let's say, a little dark sometimes, <laughs> and I can turn on the radio and hear something that is like super mainstream pop and just like really appreciate it and want to hear it coming out of someone else's car and want to hear what the summer jam is going to be and all that stuff. And I just, that's my, my thought of summer. Oh, wow. I just saw Glenn crinkle his eyebrows at that. I didn't know eyebrows No, no, no I was trying to, I was trying to, I, was, I, I actually agree with you. Really? Yeah. Boom. Yeah. That's, <laughs> there's no resisting that. Yeah. Next, I'll see your knees. No. It's, <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen your knees. You, and sh and you shan't. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't know. After party. Give us some time. <laughs> oh, we had a lot of fun at that show. Thanks again to Audie Cornish for chatting with us in Brooklyn. Thanks to everybody who came out to the show. Tell us your summer stories at facebook.com slash pchh or tweet us at pchh. When we come back from the break, you'll hear a talk I recently had with Jessica St. Clair and Lennon Parham, who are best friends in real life and play best friends on their USA series, Playing House. So come right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Spike's all-star comedy tribute, One Night Only, Alec Baldwin. One Night Only offers a glimpse into the life of Alec Baldwin as told through hilarious and heartfelt stories from his closest friends and co-stars, including Julianne Moore, Tracy Morgan, and Kate McKinnon. It's a once-in-a-lifetime tribute honoring Baldwin's 30-year career. One Night Only with Alec Baldwin premieres Sunday, July 9th at 9, 8 central on Spike. Hey, it's Guy Raz here. If you love this podcast, you might also love the TED Radio Hour. It's a show about what it means to be a human. We grieve, we experience joy, sadness, love, and jealousy. We can be cruel and empathetic. We have the capacity to imagine the future and the past. 
And at a time when it seems we're so divided, the TED Radio Hour explores what makes us unique among all species. Find it on Apple Podcasts, the NPR One app, or however you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. Jessica St. Clair and Lennon Parham have made two shows about being best friends, Best Friends Forever, which lasted for only six episodes on NBC in 2012, and Playing House, which fared much better on USA and just began its third season. I talked to both women recently about the show, how they make it, and how it's bumped up against their real lives. Jessica St. Clair and Lennon Parham, welcome to Pop Culture Happy Hour. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. <laughs> Absolutely. So for people who don't know uh, your origin story, um, how did the two of you meet? You are really best friends. Yes. We met how many years ago, Lennon? Too many to tell. We were both young both? young somethings at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York City where uh, Jess was an intern or uh, getting her hair cut by one of our improv teachers in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we locked eyes. Um, at that point at the UCB, there were very few women uh, performing at the time. So yeah, they sort of spread us out, yeah. share the love. And I remember thinking... What is this very normal-seeming girl doing in a basement of a Gristides, um, <laughs> saying these... Turning into a panther, yeah. or, you know, the various things that you like to do in early improv. So we didn't really get to perform together at all. We never mm-hmm. shared a stage in New York. And no. then I moved out to Los Angeles... For pilot season. For pilot season. And I did a lot of crying in my car in, in target various parking target lot. parking lots. Now, what fresh. were you crying in your car about? The fact I had left lot. New York and New I York. was living in Los Angeles, which seems like an alien land. So Lennon came to L.A. and I... I pounced on her once I saw her one-woman show, which was called She Tried to Be Normal. And then I started to pursue her. This is all untrue, what's about like to be said. Like somebody <laughs> would pursue a woman in the olden day, days. You know, I would no. just... We and, started to hang out. I was all by myself. My husband's still in Brooklyn. He was a high school principal. So um, it wasn't like we could just up and leave. Um, and so I was all alone in L.A. trying to like do it you know she was vulnerable yeah and And I knew that (laughs) and I think it was really cemented we we decided to do a yoga class I thought that's what LA people did so we went to a yoga class and ended up with some advanced teacher and we were like upside down like some triangle shape with our head on a block looking at each other through our lady parts and we locked eyes and it was that was like it and then after that (laughs) we went to get uh turkey chili and french fries at a diner where we wrote most of the first pilot that we ever wrote and yeah and and we laughed harder than we'd ever laughed yeah falling in love with your best friend is just like falling in love in that you feel like you've known that person forever yeah and they kind of hold you accountable to being your best self. I mean, we're about as close as two people could possibly be. Yeah. yeah. You've sort of intertwined your professional and personal relationships quite a lot at yeah. this point. And I, I'm sure that has massive advantages in terms of being close to the people that you work with. But it also means that your um, your decisions about professional projects are very kind of tied up with each other. You know, you would think that that would cause conflict uh, and I guess in our earlier days, maybe it was more of an issue while we were trying to figure out kind of what we wanted to do with our careers. But 
Um, in this past year and a half, I actually got breast cancer. Um, not to bum everyone out listening. She's okay. I'm totally okay. But Lennon really, with the help of my other girlfriends, saved my life. And so, you know, she was with me every step of that journey. And um, once you go through something like that with somebody, there's really nothing that could come between us now. There's nothing that's off limits for us to talk about. Yeah. Um, we work out our conflicts if we have them, which are very rare, so seamlessly. So it's kind of like we've just gone to a new level, you know, well, uh, yeah. almost I mean, some perspective. You yes. Know, anyone that's gone through something like this with someone getting sick in their life, you get perspective very quickly. The things that are important. What is essential? What are the three things that need to happen today? You know, and, and all of the riffraff just kind of gets out of the Falls way. Falls away. Yeah. The other thing is like for us, we adopted this kind of motto, which was safe for radio. I'll call it the hell yes life. But that means to us, like, it has to be fun. It has to be healthy. Healthy. Everyone has to be living their best life in order for it to be worth it. So we approached this last season with that in mind. I mean, I think in the past we used to overwork ourselves really intensely. Well, you feel feel like if you don't do it, then it's not going to happen. If you don't make this sacrifice, then you're costing yourself your career or something. And that's just simply Mm -hmm. not true. Right. So we approached our writer's room. We said, you know, guys, everybody has to be happy and going home at the end of the day and having life experiences in order to be able to write about them. So, yeah, I mean, as an example, in our writer's room, we worked basically 930 to 4, 430 Mm -hmm. every day. We had a a woman come in and teach everybody transcendental meditation. Interesting. How do you think it affects writers? Um, What we found is if we meditate in the late afternoon, like like right after lunch, yeah, one or two, uh, PM that you actually reset your brain so that your creativity and your energy level is way up. So then you can, if you need to, go write another couple hours. Did you have any hesitation about writing a, a breast cancer story in a comedy? Oh, yes. Definitely. Yeah. I, I was pretty sure that we should not do it at first. Um, and I knew that we had to. Well, but I was you also couldn't afraid. stop talking about it. Yeah. I It was like so hard because... Even when it was happening, I was still aware of the fact that this would make a great story. I'm like, I like we mm-hmm. were we were there, you know, and when, when I picked out my boobs and we've we were in my plastic surgeon's office and I we they take out a suitcase of boobs and they say, you know, choose the one that feels the most like your boob. Well, it was my husband and Lennon and I in this room. <laughs> And I freaked out. I was like, I don't know. I don't touch mine. She had a small panic attack. I had a big panic attack. And so my husband came over and he like poked the side of it. And that was not helpful. He grabbed it from the top, which is not how you touch a breast. Didn't work. (laughs) And I I was fired from the job. But I'm in the corner. Like just all my job was just to write everything down. Or that was the job I had given myself to feel helpful. And Jess was like, get over here. And I was like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. And she was like, Lennon get over here and so I stepped in and I felt both her breasts quietly (laughs) there was like in silence it was was in total (laughs) silence and then she she felt each one each implant as we say that a a, like a sommelier would select the perfect wine (laughs) and then she just said it's number two and I and I put that implant in my body without a second thought I didn't didn't feel it again yeah I just said that's right I don't know why I assumed my best friend knows my breast better than I do well I had just done an immediate comparison it's not like I just have the texture of your breast in my mind at all times (laughs) 
<laughs> it's like an instant. It's, it's an on the spot comparison. Thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Lennon, why did you not think you should do it? Well, when we started our writer's room, Jess had literally just finished chemo. Yeah. Which was not funny. No, no. Um, Nothing and funny And she that. was in radiation treatment. And it felt like it was still going on. And I didn't feel like it was funny at all. (laughs) I mean, I I had not done really any processing of it because, you know, when when that stuff happens, you just show up and you move through it and you kind of can't really feel it because if you do, it will overwhelm you or that's how it feels. And you really needed to be Mm. strong. I didn't want anybody crying anywhere near me. And I told them all that. I said, if I see a tear... I'm, I, you know, I want you exiting the room. Do your crying in the bathroom. Yeah. I'm not interested. So she, I hadn't hadn't even been able. You well, had to be I the cried strong when one. You, when you cried, I was kind of allowed to cry. That's how it felt. Right. But I also like had a, a bunch of jobs that I had to do and be there for you and help organize, you know, the like basically parachute of women that was yeah. that was covering you at all times. Um, I also was very aware because I was pregnant at the time with a second child and I was like, do I want to go through this again with a a tiny life inside of me? Is that what's the best for my family and my child and my life? And I was aware that it would be basically the next year and a half of our lives because we started writing this season a year ago. So now we're in the midst of the press. of it and we're talking about it again and you know I think the hardest part was the writing of it followed by the performance of it and then the editing of it so pretty much everything was really hard when it had to do with that but also what we figured out with our writers was it's not the whole season it's we have three episodes or four episodes really before I get the diagnosis and then we deal with that and then we move on and have a good time again. But it also makes things better once, it does. once you get on the other side of it. Like when you're in the storm of it, you kind of can't see, but everybody else around her can see that it is going to be better. And then characters help her see that for herself. And then we move towards an even better life. In the middle of my treatment, I called a woman that I'd never met before. She was a sister-in-law of a friend and she was 20 years out survivor. She had had breast cancer twice, actually. And it was like a Saturday night at 10 p.m. And I was in a dark place. And I said to her, um, I just don't know if I'm ever going to feel happy again or funny again or any of the things I used to feel. And she said, I know this is totally crazy and you're not going to believe me. But when you are done with this, you will be happier than you were before you were diagnosed. And I said, you're crazy. That will not happen. And that actually did happen. I am a happier person than I was before this happened. I actually think all of my friends have more joy in their lives in a weird way. We all sort of have taken life by the horns and and decided to just go for it mm-hmm. in our pursuit of joy. And so mm. when that was the story we were telling, it was a lot easier for us to, to go because we knew that at the end of all of this, we would all be happier. And that's a very inspiring story I feel like that also isn't told a lot about cancer. People overcome this amazing struggle and like they're better at the other end of it. So taking that journey, I feel like for our audience will feel really satisfying. Um, And I also want them to know that when it's sad, it will get happier again. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's kind of understanding that things are fragile? What do you think makes you happier on the other side of it? It's just like, first of all, 
you're shown when you're vulnerable and you need help, you get to see how much people love you in a way that I think a lot of times you just, life doesn't give you the opportunity. I mean, I have the most wonderful friends in the world. I knew that, but I didn't, I didn't have an opportunity to be on the receiving end of all this amazing love. When Jess had a one week old baby, I came over to her house and she had put on a full face of makeup. <laughs> and a hoop earring. And a hoop earring. And, and cleaned just the living room so it would look like I had it all together. And I was like, what the F? Like, <laughs> what are you doing? You don't have to put this on for me. I know who you are at your messiest. And that's who I love, you know. But for her, the journey, I think, was allowing people in to see her at her most vulnerable. Um, and that has given her crazy life. Do you feel like putting it on the show, in the end, you are both glad that you did it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I know now, having processed through it, um, that if literally no one else saw this TV show, um, it would have been worth it just for what it did for Jess and I and our relationship together. Um, what it allowed us to sort of sit with and move through together side by side that alone would have been worth it. And now as I see it sort of enter the world and touch people who are caregivers or who are children or parents of people who have faced this disease or the people who have faced it themselves and like what it's doing to reflect that journey for them or to give them an opportunity to laugh at the sadness of it all. Or give them comfort, like it's yeah. going to be okay. I mean, being able to turn on this TV show and feel like it's speaking to them, yeah. but not in a scary way, but in a way that says, hey, there's a light at the end of the tunnel mm-hmm. and you're going to be okay. With an acknowledgement of, of how hard of it is. how hard it is while it's happening. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, you know, like if I can feel like I have that kind of joy on the other side of it, like I'll be all right. Thanks again to Jessica St. Clair and Lennon Parham for sharing their thoughts in that conversation. Playing House airs new episodes on USA Friday nights at 11 and 11.30, but you can binge the entire third season on demand right now. When we come back, our full panel will be in along with our friend Sam Sanders for a round of What's Making Us Happy This Week. So stick around. Support for NPR and the following message come from Little Passports. Check out Science Expeditions, the new educational subscription that kids and parents love. Monthly packages arrive packed with activities and experiments about science, technology, engineering, and math, with themes like rockets and solar power. In the first month, your child will extract DNA from a strawberry while learning about forensic science. Learn more at littlepassports.com slash popculture and save 40% on your first month with coupon code POPCULTURE. Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. It is time for our favorite segment, What is Making Us Happy This Week? And back in the studio for this segment is our regular panel. First up, Stephen Thompson, what is making you happy this week? Well, this episode drops on June 30th, which is the exact midpoint of the year. And so NPR Music put together a package of what we call the essential songs, albums, performances, and videos of 2017 so far. And I try not to spend every one of these log rolling for some NPR music project, but this one is gorgeous. It really is. This There are so 
many rabbit holes to get lost in. In this huge package, we gathered voices from across NPR Music as well as the public radio system. We got your Ari Shapiro. We got your Leah Donella from Code Switch. Uh, we got Jacob Gans writing about Lord and his love of Lord. Uh, it is. You a, got a nice thing in there about Harry Styles. A nice thing in there about Harry Styles. We're hoping that the Harry Styles army uh, takes up on our behalf. Of course. Uh, but it is a really gorgeous cross-section of music and so many uh, interesting moments and documents and YouTube clips and uh, I was just I've spent the entire morning getting lost in it I only contributed two paragraphs so I like to think I'm not too terribly biased when I say that it is lovely 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 and I hope everybody checks it out and where do we find it you can find it at nprmusic.org thank you very much Stephen Thompson hey look it's Glenn Weldon Glenn Weldon what is making you happy this week there is a comedy special that just started streaming on Netflix called Oh Hello on Broadway it is the taping of that uh, limited run that uh, John Mulaney and Nick Kroll did on Broadway um, as these two old guys from the Upper West Side. Uh, if you have seen their sketches on things like Kroll Show or when they go on uh, Seth Meyers or whatever, and you think to yourself, I get it. I, I'm, I'm picking up what they're putting down. Uh, I urge you to at least try uh, Oh Hello on Broadway because they have drilled down into these characters a little bit, opened up some new dynamics between them, but the real reason to watch are some blisteringly good jokes about theater. Highly specific jokes about theater. I'm going to issue a caveat here. I'm not convinced how big the potential audience extends too far beyond the 212 uh-huh. uh, or or people like me who spent a lot of time in the trenches as a theater critic who is always up for jokes about right, sure. bad plays, bad acting, yeah. and, and uh, New York theater. Um, there is a series of just so sharply observed jokes about something like the ends of plays uh, that they just cram into this thing. Uh, It is so informed, so recognizable, so funny. That's Oh Hello on Broadway. Thank you very much, Glenn Weldon. Well, when we decided that we needed a fourth chair for just a happy segment, because we were playing (laughs) these other segments this week, we thought, who better than our friend Sam Sanders? Now, if you listen to NPR look at NPR, listen to the radio, or generally have an open ear to the universe. You have heard in the last few weeks that Sam Sanders has a new podcast. A and little bitty it thing. It is called, what's it called, Sam? It's been a minute. Oh, man. Yeah. Who is better than our buddy Sam Sanders? Oh, I'm glad how, you guys had me here. Yeah, how's your, how's your new project going? It's been going great. I mean, you guys were involved in the piloting process, so you're helping other folks help helped us have a good launch and it's out there in the world I'm enjoying the feedback and the love from our listeners and I'm excited to give you guys more so that's great. listen up that's great yeah. it's really fun it is oh, really thanks, fun thanks guys so that's, guys. W- that's one thing that that's I'm sure thing. is making Sam happy what else is making you happy this week Sam? there is a new album by some guy named DJ Khaled <laughs> oh, it's called Grateful <laughs> and let me tell you I have a love-hate relationship with him and his mm-hmm. music but I'm for the most part, feeling this because my whole thing with DJ Khaled is that his entire vibe is celebratory excess. Mm-hmm. The beats are larger than life. He's yelling larger than life. He has every famous person alive on his songs and the babies in the video. It's just excess, 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 yeah. but happy excess, right? Yeah. And so the best example of this celebratory excess on the new album, which is called Grateful, is a song featuring... Rihanna and Bryson Tiller. It's called Wild Thoughts. It's actually a sample of a Santana song. Anyways, the lyrics are just absurd. So her first lyrics read as follows. I don't know if you could take it, 
know you want to see me naked, naked, naked. <laughs> Not naked, 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 naked. Naked, naked, naked. It gets more absurd after that. She compares her body or sex with somebody to a washing machine, a cookie, the 68 Jets. The male <laughs> who is singing, he talks about sex in terms of cremation, a bouquet of flowers, Running fast like Usain Bolt. There's a Wu-Tang comparison there. It's just over the top. <laughs> and so you hear... Happy access. Exactly. happy. And so, like, you hear these lyrics and you're like, no real person would ever say these words. Uh-huh. But when DJ Khaled and Rihanna and Bryson Tiller say it with DJ Khaled's baby in the video, yeah. you're like, wow, I can't stop watching. Yeah. The baby's real cute. The baby's so cute. He has a, he, His Instagram is yeah. better than anyone else's. Yeah. He, he tells his baby a lot about greatness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, best excess of the album for Yes. Me. Before I stop, Chance the Rapper is featured on the album as well. And he and DJ Khaled make a tribute to their kids. At one point, Chance the Rapper is rap singing the ABCs. It's just like, it's so like, it would only work if DJ Khaled does it. And it kind of works when he does it. Who doesn't love that? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Sam is going to be the recipient of all my DJ Khaled emojis. Oh, please send them on. I have have them. I need to use them. Send them. Yep. DJ Khaled uh, is the reason why Stephen has on his desk a bottle of Chirac Apple. Mm. (laughs) Celebrate success success right. (laughs) All right. Largely untouched. (laughs) We had a little bit. Oh, just give it to me. We had a little. All right. uh, Thank you very much much sam sanders uh our producer jessica reedy is on vacation right now getting a well-deserved break uh thomas lou is producing in her stead and because jessica's not here i'm doing two things (laughs) (laughs) little tiny short thing uh my favorite tweet of the week was from uh, my friend pj vote who is the co-host of reply all who has been watching the thing of of Mark Zuckerberg visiting around America, which, in fairness, he has explained, you know, there has been kind of a story out this week that the reason for that is just he wants to understand the world better because of Facebook. But there's also been a lot of uh, speculation that he was getting into politics. And PJ's tweet says, watching Mark Zuckerberg try to casually sidle into politics is like watching a very drunk person try to shoplift an air conditioner. (laughs) (laughs) Painting pictures with words. Oh my gosh, I thought that was a good joke. It is like my favorite. It is what Twitter is for. It is all my joy. Uh, that was good. So so just a hat tip to PJ. Uh, my real thing is a new podcast called The Turnaround that mm-hmm. is hosted by our friend Jesse Thorne. Um, it's a project that he did in conjunction with the Between Maximum Fun, which is his podcast network and the Columbia Journalism Review. And Basically, he interviews people about interviewing. And Jesse is the first person to say that he does not have like a journalism background. And yet Bullseye is an interview show. I consider Jesse an excellent interviewer, but he's a very specific kind of interviewer. And so he went to a bunch of different people. Um, His first full episode is a like 70 minute conversation with Ira Glass about interviewing people. It is just so interesting to listen to. Um, There's a lot of breaking down of the mystique of making radio and how much work it is and how much choreography there is. Ira talking about asking people the same question multiple times because they don't really answer it the first time. Um, So I love it for that reason. But also the preview episode included... Um, I think it's some of, I don't think it's all of, but Jesse's interview with Audie Cornish, friend of the show, our beloved Audie Cornish, who you heard in the A segment. 
And Audie talked to him not only about interviewing in general, but very much about NPR style of interviewing. And they have an exchange that is tense at times, uh-huh. but very respectful and kind of uh, honest. Mm. And I really appreciated it. The podcast is called The Turnaround. There are going to be a series of episodes. Um, he's done ones with a, a bunch of different people. I know he has one with Mark Marin. Interviews about interviewing. Yeah. Uh, and you can get that. And I'll just jump feeds. on that. I mean, there are philosophies of interviewing, mm-hmm. which have never occurred to me. Mm-hmm. But it comes out in such sharp relief yeah. uh, on, on The Turnaround. It's yeah. fantastic. Really smart and great. And that brings us to the end of our show. You can follow all of us on Twitter. You can follow me at NPRMonkeyC. You can follow Stephen at I Dislike Stephen. You can follow Glenn at GH Weldon and Sam at Sam Sanders. You can follow Audie Cornish, who you heard in our earlier segment at NPR Audie. And you can follow our producer, Jessica Reedy, at Jessica underscore Reedy, and our current producer, Thomas Liu, at Thomas U-Y-L-U. You can follow our producer emeritus and music director, Mike Katzif at Mike Katzif, K-A-T-Z-I-F. Mike's band, Hello, Come In, provides our in and out music, which we hope you're bobbing your head to happily right now. Thanks to all of you guys for being here. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to Audie for being with us in that segment. And we will see you right back here next week.